Hey everybody, welcome to a special edition of Weisenheimer, the podcast. This is the second episode of our impromptu interview series, and this is a really special one again. Leslie, why is this so special? It is so special because we uh, got the opportunity at the Detroit Improv Festival this year to interview the one, the only, Chicago's native daughter of improv, Susan Messing. Whom we just improvised with on the previous episode. Yes, go back to 41 and listen to that if you haven't yet. Yes. It's fantastic. Yeah, from, you know, hearing, like, annoyance stuff and messing with the friends stuff and, like, all of the incredible shows she's been a part of, incredible improvisers she's gotten to perform with. It was just an absolute honor to be able to sit down with her and pick her brain for a half hour. It was really great to sit down with uh, Susan, who... Uh, is has been a teacher forever. She's been the main stage Second City. She's done pretty much everything and can reflect on that. And she gave us some great insights of what the future holds for improv, where it's gone, where it's going. And it was just a great... Great little sit down. Yeah. So if you're a student of improv, love the art form, and are just curious as fuck as to what is in the mind of Susan Messing... I think you're gonna enjoy this. Also horny. <laughs> you have probably done tons of interviews. I'm gonna go back because I don't know this part. Okay. How did you discover improvisation? Like I went to Northwestern and I was a terrible I was a terrible actress. Did you go theater. for acting? Yeah, I was okay. a theater major, but they can't kick you out of the department for lack of talent. It's great. <laughs> um, and then there was like an improv group. It was called The Meow Show. And I think I auditioned for it my sophomore year. And there's a guy named Dan Patterson who ran it. Dan Patterson created Whose Line Is It Anyway? Nice. He created the English version. Dan yeah. Patterson. So, yeah, for some reason this stuffy English man was there uh, doing this. So, yeah, I didn't get that. And then at my junior year, I auditioned for something called a Herald team at a place called Improv Olympic down uh, in Chicago. Heard of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I didn't get that either. And honestly, I didn't even really know what it was. And I didn't know why I was doing comedy. Like, I knew I was unintentional comedy doing theater. Like, I was like, watch me do something like Lady Macbeth. And you'll be like, oh, no, this is so wrong. And you would laugh, I'm sure. But, um... I started doing more plays my junior and senior year, and I did seem to have some comedy in them as my shit. Uh, And then afterwards, I was like, oh man, what am I doing with my life? I started waitressing, and I remembered that place called Improv Olympic, and started taking classes there. And that's how it started. You had to be drawn to comedy then. I, there was a lot of comedy in my life. My father was the funniest person I've ever met, but comedy in my world was oftentimes used to diffuse some really tense shit fires. Okay. So I used comedy as, you know, to kind of tamp flames. So I didn't go, oh, I could be a comedian. I always thought I wanted to be either an actress, a swimming coach, or a hockey goalie. And those two are unreasonable, those last two. You don't so. know the world today. Right? Mm-hmm. I think I could I could think I could put on on some hockey skates Hell and, yeah. and, and get gear. In gear, but that's really heavy for a goalie. Sometimes I think. If your dad was the funniest man you ever met, did yeah. he have like a scent? Like, was he a Benny Hill guy? I mean, no, what? he was. He was. Um, he was a Mel Brooks guy. He was a. Uh, um, yeah, very much of a Mel Brooks guy. 
and very, but his, but his personal comedy was super dry. You had to look at him and go, oh, that was a joke. And then, you, <laughs> then your next thing was, oh, that was fucking brilliant. <laughs> like that was like, people still tell Bob Messing stories. You know what I mean? Like shit he's done. And it, he just was a Like really, a real intelligent man almost where nobody um, else would get it. But dep- well, depends who you're talking to. You know? <laughs> I mean, it could be as base as the rest of them. As a matter of fact, my contractor recently, Joe Sapora, this big uh, Greek guy, uh, no, Polish guy, sorry. Greek, sorry about Greek. Uh, um, uh, this Polish guy, he sent me my bill and with it a couple of these mimeographed like old dittos that had like those goofy jokes like from the 70s and some of them are like like pictures like and, and I looked at them and I was like this is something my dad might have sent somebody one of his friends in the 70s you know what I mean that <laughs> kind of funny dad divorced humor you know Where what I mean like get them I don't know but I was like this is old school when I got it in the mail I mean, even getting the bill in the mail is kind of old school if you think about it. Right. Yeah, right? Yeah, so. Is that to soften the blow? Like, it? I don't know, but yeah, I guess so. But, like, his worker said to me, yeah, he always gives us these jokes. And I'm thinking, well, they're still not funny. Like, like, it, like now it's, like, super dated. Like, if you open up an old Playboy as opposed to an old New Yorker and have, like, an old Playboy joke versus an old New Yorker joke, which still stands the test of time. <laughs> the Playboy one's, like... Yeah, you roofie a girl and laugh about it later. Yeah, it's not so Can funny. Can you imagine, <laughs> like, back in that era, there was a company that would decide what jokes went to what magazine based on how funny they were? Like, this one's shit, it goes to Playboy. Mm-hmm. This one's good, it goes sure, to Sure, I'd be perfectly fine. I wish they'd what do that now. What a fun job. This one, yeah, this one goes to this building. <laughs> what was the time difference between the first time you went to I.O. and auditioned and they said, Man, not it's yet. my junior year in college, and then right after I graduated, I started in I graduated in 1986. I'm old, <laughs> and uh, started improvising that fall. What was that like at that era? How many people would have been at I.O. at that time? Probably about 40, maybe mm. 40, 50 at most. I.O. itself, I don't think had been I.O. for more than five years. I think it started like in 1981 or something. Mm-hmm. So they had only been doing heralds as kind of a, a performance thing for about five years and the Herald was super crunchy first of all it was a competition so if you ever go to like a cage match it would be like that where but they would have a board with like um, that you would write on where they would say theme uh, intelligence um, I don't think comedy was one, but teamwork was one, and then you would get points oh for God. that. Wow. So wow. it was weird because there were certain groups that were very cerebral and stood there, and then there were certain groups that were like goofballs, and I'd just look at it and go, this is ridiculous, it's like apples and oranges. And then every couple of months or so, about every half year or so, Sharna would have a big competition, about which was the best Herald team, and the final night of it would be at the Second City main stage, like on a Monday night, when they just didn't have shows then, or maybe they took the place of a Torco. And uh, Joyce would come backstage, Joyce Sloan, who ran the Second mm-hmm. City, would come backstage and say, you can't say that you weren't in Second City just because you're doing this. You know what I mean? So we were always like, yes, we will not put this on our resume and say we were on main stage simply because we performed on main stage. Physically there. Yeah. yeah. So that- I performed on a team called Blue Velveeta, and that turned into a, a pretty damn great team. Yeah, and who all was on that? Because I know I've heard that. Kevin Dorff. Brian McCann joined us as well after a little while. He wasn't there originally. I think he was on a team called Fishstick uh, with Farley, but then he was with us. Uh, Mitch Rouse, Brendan Sullivan, Tommy Booker, Brian Blondell. Let me say Blondell. Jay Leggett and me, I think. Blue. Only girl. 
Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Always. To have a girl was a coup. Mm-hmm. It was like it was not. It wasn't like girls aren't welcome. I just felt like I at the time very few women stayed, and I don't know if that was a Sharna thing or they didn't feel comfortable. There were women around, but they seemed to slip out and say, fuck this shit, I'll be an actor. And after Blue Velveeta started, I started seeing, no, I saw about two or three women on each team a little later. Sometimes a woman would play with us, like Jackie Hoffman played with us for a little while, and I was like, ooh, wow, a woman. Did you feel like you were a secret weapon almost? No, I think the guys felt glad because they had a girl to play with, Mm -hmm. and so they didn't have to do some sort of tacky man-woman scene or something and I felt just super grateful to be like a fly on the wall in the boys club I didn't I never had to say like treat me with respect they were always amazing I just want to make sure this is Leggett, Booker, Brendan, Blondell, me, Kevin, Jay and then and then and Doc and McCann (laughs) just making sure I didn't forget anybody because I don't want to forget anybody so Okay, so you're in there, and you, you just joke that you like entered Northwestern as a theater major, and yeah. you said you weren't talented. No. You had to be to get in there. And I think I had theater. guts. I think I, I think I had guts. I think I was one of those brave people who was scared and did it anyway. <laughs> I grew up in the performance arts. I did plays all through my high school. You know what I mean? So I thought that I could handle it, but it didn't mean I was a good actor. Okay. You can get away with a lot of bluster and balls without being good. Do you remember then that moment? Because I think we all have that. You've been going through I.O. And you know what? I always It never occurred to me that Improv Olympic, why they picked that name. But if you, when you just talked about scoring, maybe there. it's essentially like the Olympics. And for, we're at the Rio right yeah. now. So it's on such a life's a herald. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Three beats. Do you remember the moment where you either, where you realized, I actually, I got chops in this? Well, it wasn't chops as much as there were two little moments. One was Sharna in a bathroom with me during a break. She was washing her hands and she was she had been very hard on me and gave me notes that made me go home and cry. And uh, she'll tell you later on that I was a pussy and I'll tell you she was a bitch. <laughs> and we might both be right. So there you go. Um, but I, I was in the bathroom in Sharna and I had just done mu- like a musical improv thing, which for me felt like breathing at the time. I was like, oh, this is part of improv. This is so fucking easy. Like I make up musicals in my you know head all the time. What the fuck? And she said, I'm going to be really hard on you because one day you're going to be invaluable to me. And I went, oh, okay. She sees something. And then another time I was dating a guy named Louie and Louie was at the bar of, I don't remember where we were. At the time, we'd been so many little bars and places to do. I want to say it was on Lincoln, like John Barleycorn type of place. Mm-hmm. And uh, Del came up to Sharna, who was also at the bar, and said, "You know that girl you hate." And Sharna's like, and she saw Louie, and she knew Louie was dating me. She goes, "I don't know what you're talking about." He goes, "Yeah, yeah, you do. That that Jewish girl, the girl you hate." Um, <laughs> she did a really good monologue in class today. And Sophia and uh, Louis leans over and he goes, Susan Messing? He goes, Yeah, Susan Messing, that girl you hate. She did a really good job. So, but frankly, I felt fine once I was assigned the D team. We didn't even have a name, we were the D team. And uh, once I was assigned my team, and my team looked at me and goes, Oh, okay, that's, your, that's our girl. Wow, we get a girl. Okay, let's play. I went, Oh, wow. And then our coach was this hack named Mick Napier. So, um,. <laughs> It was not a bad thing. We just were really willing to work hard, and we didn't say I'd be good at it. We just said, it's almost like anybody who comes on stage and says, I want to do this one day, or I think I can do this one day. They're right. You know what I mean? If you're on stage, you belong there. So something in me must have just caved into that acceptance, probably a lot more from my peers, and then when I got that kind of tacit approval, 
from certainly from Dell. Sharna, I don't even know if I she'll still give me a note if she sees me, but she can't hear half of it. So that's totally fine. And I'll still take the fucking note. I'm not I'm not too old for that shit. I can be a pain in the ass. Teamwork's rough for me. <laughs> Teamwork is super rough. So that's why I teach it to rub my face into it, so I become a nicer person to work with. Really. To push yourself. Oh yeah, I I'd be the biggest hypocrite on the planet if I didn't say to you. I am taking this class right now with you. Like, I am taking mm-hmm. class so that I don't... Like, how many people do you hate when they don't walk their talk? Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah. yeah, I can say it, but you just watched me just do something completely different on stage and make someone out to be the biggest dick. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. yeah. So, And I'm also, if I figure something out, I want to pass it on as fast as I can because my epiphanies are slow and stupid. You know what I mean? So when I get something, I'm like, oh my God, try this. This really helped. And they're like, oh, thanks, man. And then it works. And when you know you say that, but the show that you do, Messing with a Friend. Yes. I just saw that D. Ryan posted that this is your 10th year doing that show. Mm-hmm. So, do you, we just you, celebrated our anniversary. Anniversary. So do you know roughly? It's the 12th year, though, actually. It's the 12th year. It started at the Second City Unhinged series, then in 2004, then moved over to the I.O. for two runs. The Anoints didn't have a space yet. Mm-hmm. We were still like waiting for a shipment of steel from China or something like that. <laughs> Seriously, for like five years or something ridiculous in some new building, which landed on Broadway as well. <coughs> now we're on Belmont again. But uh, but that's when the 10-year run started at the Anoints. Okay. So, But it has been for 12 years. I just, well, just want to give Second City and I.O. props because yeah. mm-hmm. how nice that they let me perform it there while I was waiting to bring it home. I mean, that was super sweet. Mm-hmm. Who's the person you've had the most messing with the friends with? Rachel Mason. Rachel Mason. She finally beat Ike Barinholtz. Ike was the winner for a while. How about that? Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there are a lot of people who've had, like, I think TJ's played with me a lot. Mm-hmm. I think if I looked over, because I have like a day planner, that I always keep a, you know, a, a one that you write on. Does it have little jokes on the top? No. It's not that old school? No, it's not no, one of those. Motivational <laughs> quotes. No, <laughs> never. You can do that. But, but I, it will, like, strangely enough though, I can look at a date and see what that date was, and I might be able to remember like how I felt that day. Like if I can remember an incident, I might go, oh man, that was bad or that was good. But, huh. you know, nothing like... Do you keep track of all that? Like how many times? My my lady swings of moods. No. <laughs> I don't. No. No. But I do. But I have written down everybody I played with in that thing. Yeah. In those you know in the yearly planners. So if I went back and kind of tallied up some people, you you probably see some people there. Like. Yeah. So how long have you been teaching residently at IO? Like continuously. You're level you're level three now. Level two. Level two? It used to be level three, and then Sharna said, they need to have fun sooner. And I'm like, oh, fuck me. That means my job is going to be even harder. I would have liked them, honestly, to have what it used to be, which was level one, then eight weeks of scene work, level two, and then come to me. Because that's closer to Harold's, and I'm teaching all the stuff on the inside. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they get sometimes frustrated that they're not just doing scene after scene after scene after scene. So I have to constantly tell them, Level three is you're going to be doing scene after scene after scene after scene of grounded two-person scene work, so shut the fuck up on your student evaluations that I wish we did more scene work. Like, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> that I can't help you with. You know, it's no interesting that Sharna said they want to get to you because they need to have fun quicker. I was in Chicago from 2000, about 2005. Yep. And it was beaten into me, and I mentioned this earlier, you do I.O., you do Second City, you do Annoyance. So I.O. to get the basics, Second City to learn how to do improv sketch, and the annoyance have fun. says, fuck all that, go do whatever yeah. how you want. I think by the time, sometimes, it's it's strange sometimes when I see people who actually start at the annoyance now. And that's what, when I left, 
my group of improv friends were all going, I wish I would have an annoyance first. I wish I would have an annoyance Interesting. first. Interesting. I don't know. I think Second City makes you a very grounded improviser. I think, um, I don't know, for me, I don't think that Second City's improv is there to teach you how to improvise as much as to create sketch. Right. So it helps you with point of view and social and political satire. So I can see why people would go there next, and then I can see where people are thoroughly frustrated by everybody's rules and come over to the annoyance. And I teach for all of them. So obviously I'm doing something differently in each space, mm -hmm. and some things I do in all three spaces because you could use it no matter where the fuck you land. But when I am teaching my annoyance class, it's like a level five class, really what I'm trying to make sure is, I know they're fully formed by level five. It's rare that I get the improviser that I'm like, how did you slip through the system? Mm. One person happened last session and I was like, how come this person wasn't red flagged? Like, this is so wrong. Like, you showed up to two classes and did nothing. Right. Like, and I was like, I don't even know you. That's how, like, I don't even recognize you in my class. This person showed up in my class and I'm like, I actually said, who are you? <laughs> this person said, I, I was in one of the classes. I said, yeah, this is class seven. Mm -hmm. Like, where the fuck have you been? <laughs> anyway, so that pissed me off a little bit. Is it more, is it? It's just like, what the fuck? But they become lazy and complacent sometimes. Mm -hmm. They kind of hope for the best. And I'm like, nope, you're going to place yourselves and you're going to slow down. You know how in the annoyance you stood on that back line a lot and did oh, scene yeah. after scene after scene? You don't do that in my class. In my class, you slow down and taste your fucking food. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I force you to. Mm -hmm. Is it more fun for you to teach... Uh, like a level, like the higher levels where people are already formed and then you can take somebody who's really skillful and just tweak them? I or... like to nip and tuck at, at, at the annoyance. That's what I do there. But level two, sometimes people collaboratively bring up their game simply by collaboration. Mm -hmm. So even if they haven't been at IO, like in somebody who's more like somebody who hasn't improvised and think it would be fun versus somebody who's on some sort of fast track in their own mind to SNL or whatever the fuck they want. Like, I don't care. Like, like my job in level two is to build ensemble, and I treat them like an ensemble from the beginning, never a class. They are an ensemble as far as I'm concerned. So I think it all kind of, um, I like that feeling, and I like the annoyance feeling, and I like being at Second City. I was just did a long-form immersion with Rachel Mason, and she loves form, and I don't give a shit about form. For me, it's just a house where them bitches live, you know? And if you love your characters, time passes, and if it's a fussy form, then don't buy a fucking Victorian asshole. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, I think we've turned this sadly into rocket science. And when the more complicated it is and the more rules you have, the more it invites paralysis. Mm. So yes, we, there are table manners and I have suggestions that might get you off a lot faster than not. You know, in my twenties I had sex and I wanted to have sex right. Now I'm like, I don't care if it's flubby, fuck it. You know what I mean? Like if there's a difference, <laughs> there's just a difference. Interesting. Yeah. But I understand that every building has its own integrity and the Do you try to honor that integrity when you walk in? I don't think anybody hires me because they're like, messing will fuck it up. But at the <laughs> same time, I definitely have a point of view. And my point of view, but my point of view is simply what gets me through the trenches every week as a performer. So I could not empathize with them more. It's not, let me tell you what to do and then I'll sit back and judge you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I get it. Got it. I totally know where you are. I understand your fids. You're frustrated. I love frustrated improvisers because there are things that if you've got things to try, you're fine. It's when you feel like you've exhausted every possibility and you're still ripping out your hair in large tufts that you're like, fuck this shit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So as long as we have something to try, this is an evolving art. I'm not done yet. I still have a lot to learn because the day I st I've always said the day I stop learning is the day I start di dying. I'm a little too young to die. Yeah. So 
once you crack a code, it's like with a toddler. You're like, oh, they finally got to sleep. And then they're like, fuck, he bites people. You know what I mean? Like, so that's what I have. You know, you're constantly nipping and tucking and changing it. And as we've been talking to also about shit that's been happening in our community, about what people find permissible on and off stage in terms of behavior, that's had to, I've had to adjust my teaching in order to support that as well. So, and I think sometimes guys are feeling like they're walking through landmines on this and the women are pissy because they believe change isn't happening fast enough and there's just a lot going on and you sit there and you go, oh fuck, I'm the teacher. You know, then you come back in and go, okay, let's see if we can handle this so that nobody's integrity is fucked or that I don't trigger somebody, you know, into something creepy. Well, that was a question I was going to ask and not that I'm looking for the answer from that the men's and women's roles perspective, but you've been a teacher now, what, 20 some years? I've been, this is my 30th year in improv and I've probably, I'm probably around my, I'd have to find out from Mick when the first class I taught for the annoyance was, because that's the first time I was an improv teacher. What have you noticed from the beginning to present day in the evolution of the art form and in the students? As far as the art form goes, I think there's a lot more bells and whistles. I think the general public understands long form more. I think the students have more of an agenda of what they want out of this. For us, we just didn't, I can I can guarantee that Kevin Dorf and I never said, we want to be in Second City one day, or we want to do this. I think I'm quite sure he and I would say, we thought this was fun. We had a friend who said, try it, or I thought it was a good idea. Uh, I just don't want to get kicked off stage. Now, a lot of people, for every person who does a spe- special improv program because of, um, well, this is good that that they have special specialized programs for people on the spectrum, people with anxiety mm. disorders, oh. people who are vets, people uh, caregivers who need more empathy, a um, lot of shit like that. Along with people who want to be on SNL, people who think it'd be a fun social thing to do, people who just want to be a better architect, you know what I mean, and better in front of a crowd. So everybody's using it for everything, and we've turned it into rocket science in a way that is lovely to see the applications of going into a Fortune 100 company and telling them how to, a CEO how to get along again with people. That's lovely. But part of the simple joy, kind of maybe it's because the community is so crazy big, although I still feel like it's small in a way, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But it is crazy big um, in terms of globally. Everybody's finding it and getting so excited about it. Sometimes I wonder if um, when fun little buildings become huge institutions that you're going to have growing pains. Good news is you're growing. Bad news is it's painful. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the way that, like, I think the annoyance looks back and goes, shit, we're 27 years in now? Oh, my God. You know what I mean? We thought, let's just fuck around, and then all of a sudden you're a building. You know what I mean? And, and you go, oh, fuck. And then all of a sudden they think, well, your gig at the annoyance is this. And I'm like, I don't know. I just thought it was we could do whatever we want. But the minute you stick something on stage, somebody's going to judge it. At I.O., the Herald isn't so much in focus. It's Herald and stand-up and two props and blah, 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 whatever they call it. You know what I mean? People, everybody thinks they've invented improv. That's fascinating <laughs> to me. Um, but then again, I live in Mecca, which is Chicago, so people get so fucking spoiled because there's literally four theaters within two blocks of me. I've lived there since 1996. And... ATC, well, that's a regular theater, but then a uh, Laugh Out Loud just opened around the block. There's uh, another two, three, three, th- three more theaters literally within two blocks of my neighborhood. 
And there's enough audience and obviously performers, but enough audience to support I assume at the very least, you know, the performers are supporting their peers at the very least. Mm -hmm. I think probably they walk into one of the big institutions and then look around and go, fuck this shit, I'm going to do my own. I don't care if you start their anger or simply like, it's not, I want something for me or I think this would be fun. Chicago still has the ability to to hold that because in New York it's super expensive. So it's not always cost, you know, sometimes it's cost prohibitive to open up a theater, even for the annoyance to open an offshoot in Brooklyn was a big deal, you know, and when UCB came in, they came in and I'm sure there's another group, I think it's called Chicago City Limits, where we're probably like, what the fuck are you doing? And then, then the magnet, then the, the pit opened up and UCB was like, what the fuck are you doing? And then the magnet opened up and the pit and UCB were what the fuck are you doing? And the annoyances in Brooklyn, I don't care if you're in Brooklyn, what the fuck are you doing? You know, like they get a little crunchier about expansion and then they realize that if you have this many people interested in it, we're gonna find a place for everybody to do it because I always felt that if I did my work in one place, it would only reflect well on the next place I walked into. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why when I see the glinkies in a city get mad at the hookahs, then I'm telling the glinkies and the hookahs to fucking talk to each other because if you guys collaborate, instead of going, there's a new kid in town and they're taking my posse, you know, if they fucking work together, some amazing shit would happen. Yeah. You know, you can collaborate. That's where a festival can begin with all the... Th- Austin managed to do it. Minneapolis, I think, does it. Detroit seems go and plan... You know, they seem perfectly happy together. <clears throat> it's only going to make everybody better. And I figured that your rate of expansion should be based on what you can handle. If you can only handle a small storefront, please do. Don't go crazy if you can't handle it yet. You can always incrementally get bigger. Improv is not a huge moneymaker. You know, because still there are a lot of people in this world... We still think improv is whose line is it anyway. Oh, yeah. Which means that everything has to be a comedy sports venue, and it doesn't have to be. Although I love comedy sports, and even comedy sports has said, we need a long-form show late at night where we can let off a little steam. When you do a show, and it's like you're at the height of your intelligence, playing to the art form that you love, and you step off stage and go, that was, that was the creative oil painting on the wall that I you know, can dream of. And then you meet someone off that comes up to you and go, well, you're an improviser? I love whose line is it anyway. Because yeah. that's all they know. Does it irk you a little? A little. You know, it really irks me. You're a comedian. Say something funny. Oh. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm off the clock. You know what? Nobody knew what I was doing either until articles are showing up in the New York Times about improv and other places. And then people who don't get it, get it. I think, I think the only reason why I'm still doing it probably is I started when I did. I don't know if I would have had the kind of temerity if I started in 1998 or mm-hmm. 2007. I might have looked at the landscape and said, this is very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a place for me here. But there always is, which is stupid. I just started, I feel like, on the ground floor of a lot of shit and was invited through the doggy door for other shit. Mm-hmm. Or I made a hole and <laughs> crawled through it, you know? That's interesting, though, because I, I often look at that now, too. Like, when I started and I look back at it, I'm like, oh man, I would not. I don't know that I would go back to do that right now. Yeah, yeah. Or at this age, or if if that just comes with age, or because obviously when you're younger, you're like, yeah, I want to do it. I want to do it all. I want give me everything. But actors now have to learn how to improvise, and improvise need to learn how to act. I work at DePaul in their theater building. I work with the MFA threes. I work at the School of Steppenwolf. I work with actors. Yeah. And actors have to learn this shit now. Because, and frankly, I wouldn't be an artist if I had to rest on the skills that I learned at theater school. Like, I wish that existed at Northwestern as much as it has changed my life. And, 
and Northwestern, you know, thinks that what I do now, I mean, they're on some sort of list of, like, graduates from Northwestern, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, but I wouldn't be on that list if I was a theater major. I'd be a clinical child psychologist right now. Yeah. So improv actually kept me in the arts. It absolutely kept me in the That's what it did. More than anything, it kept me in the arts. Because I like working with people. Like, I don't want to do the Susan Messing thing. Like, even a show with my name on it, I find the height of arrogance. How, is your, how old is your daughter? 15, 16? 13. 13? Oh, oh she's tall. And <laughs> does she have any interest in improvisation? She's already fully formed. She's really good. <laughs> really? Like, she might be one of the funniest people I've ever met. But her funny doesn't, she doesn't like, wait a minute. Like, she is extremely funny because she's dealing with the moment. Like, I'm doing something stupid and then she's calling me on it and I will be doubled over laughing because she will get me. <laughs> and I see comedy all day long. So you would think that I'd have a pre... It's not like, oh, she's my daughter, therefore... No. If she was hateful, I'd be like, she's hateful, but I love her. But she happens to be amazing. Even more than her improv, um, she's a beautiful voice, beautiful singer. Wow. Like, like disturbing, like makes adults cry voice. Like, <laughs> and I don't say that like she does. Like Ave Maria, Christmas Eve? No. Indie, indie Rocky cry. Um, <laughs> and then she had to sing a song. My friend Sam wrote a song that was marketed. Listen to this niche market. It was marketed to middle school choruses, winter concert, non-secular song. <laughs> Got it? Because it had <laughs> middle school choruses, yeah. non-secular Christmas, because Christmas you always have to have something that's like, right. winter's cold, you know what I mean? Mm. Like that kind of thing, and my heart is full. So <laughs> he wrote this song, and Sophia sang it, and like, he like did it for his demo, because they wanted to get an authentic, and just tears, wow. tears, wow. tears. <laughs> she's, she's that person, and she's just, she's an old soul, and she's poised, and she's lovely. She almost has a little Victorian kind of feel to her. She once, I once said to her, Sophia, she was about eight, I said, are you going to roll your eyes at me when you're a teenager? Because I'd already told her puberty's a bitch and shit. <laughs> and she, she burst into tears. She said, Mama, I will never roll my eyes at you. <laughs> Cut to 11, where she rolled her eyes at me and I just stopped everything and went, Sophia, did you roll your eyes at me? And she went, eh. you know, she <laughs> delighted with herself. But she's not a snotty child. Even on her her worst day is some other kid's best. I do not say this because she's she is mine. Mm -hmm. Like do not. I'm lucky to be around her. I she see. also keeps me from being a hypocrite. My classes keep me from being a hypocrite, and my kid, I have a checks and balances system <laughs> in place to really slap myself across the face when I become a little too much of shut the fuck up. I would think being a teacher and having young just being surrounded by young people. Like, I could probably spend, go weeks without being in the presence of a 19, 20-year-old person um, and not know it. it. Like, I don't know if it makes you cynical or just clueless or... I think, you know, it's... You know, you could shake your fists at them and say, hey, hipsters, get off my lawn. But most people are genuinely... They genuinely want to be an integral part of a whole. I think if anything else in a world where everybody gets trophy and nobody wants to feel bad and bibbidi bobbidi boo I think people just want a release of playing you know what I mean mm -hmm. I think so when they and the theory of improv is amazeballs now we all know the reality is not the theory and that you really have to fight for your right to party on that shit you know that that to really make the theory practice that's why you get so many growing pains in all these theaters and stuff is where you come to a no but theater teaching yes fucking and you're like asking for something they went no 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 and that that gets grading after a while but then again 
that's maybe sometimes people say, oh yeah, you're going to be that kind of an asshole? I'll open up my own theater. Mm-hmm. And then you'll see. Well, frankly, then they'll understand that why somebody became a no-butt bitch. It's because they're like, because I'm co- fucking dealing with a mortgage here or the rent. <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. You do the best you can. You And you deal with people who are easy to be with and people who are difficult to be with. And honestly, in this in our world, if you want to be an asshole, I invite you to become just an actor. <laughs> you, know, you know, remember when people are like, oh, he's such an act, he's such an asshole, but he's such a great actor. I'm like, in our world, go fuck yourself, right? Yeah. 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 So, and like I said, for me to be that person, I don't want to be the asshole. So I try my very best to be someone you want to play with, but I got to work on that constantly. Like every time I'm giving a note, I'm like, oh, that's my note. Shit's happened. That a big yeah. security. A lot of shit's happened. A lot Lots of donuts. A lot of security. <laughs> nice. Something it's, happened. He was here a with you, right? He was protecting you in the hallway. Yeah, yeah I brought security. <laughs> I wanted to double check. Make sure. Every, every, I think everybody. The first person they'd be is jump messing. <laughs> <laughs> okay.